Now, who's pumped up? I mean, we're at church. Um, I've been practicing this all week. Walk this way. I feel like we're there, right? Now, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we'll get in there here in just a second. I know it's an old school rock song, uh, but the premise actually comes from Ephesians chapter 4. And I love this passage of Scripture because uh, the following passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, this term is used three times that says, walk this way. Now, it just so happens that Aerosmith and Run DMC have done remakes of this song, uh, I like to think that they got it from reading scripture. <laughs> I'm probably wrong on that, <laughs> uh, but somewhere along the way, uh, this is what has come with this. And so the title of this sermon series is Walk This Way. And the first sermon this morning starts this off with old shoes versus new shoes. Now, to kind of talk about this for just a second, uh, the, the shoe market is a crazy market. Now, how many of you have shoes on this morning? All of you, praise the Lord, um, all of you support the shoe market in some way. As I was studying this out, I was looking at the numbers that come with this. Uh, the largest shoe brand in the U.S. is Nike with a revenue of $44.538 billion. Y'all buy way too many shoes. Okay, this is a huge market. Over 75,000 employees work for Nike alone. This is a huge market to be in. As of 2022, the U.S. industry has a market size of $85.84 billion. Imagine that. That's the money that we spend on shoes every single year. Now, when you look at that number, almost half of that number is actually going towards Nike shoes. Now, this is kind of intriguing. The average American owns, now see where you are on this. The average American owns 20 pairs of shoes. How many of you would say I'm under that? How many of you would say you're bringing up the curve? Okay, a few of you guys, good. Uh, oddly enough, 12 for men, men and 27 for women is what the average is. And that average has out to be about 20 pairs of shoes uh, per individual. Now, to look at this, we kind of have to look at some of the top shoes of all time. And let me do men's first and women's second. Now, listen, I want to give a disclaimer. This in no way entitles you to go buy a new pair of shoes after church. Can we say that together? Okay, I'll preach and we'll see how we get. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there were some emphatic no's uh, on this. Uh, for the men, it's kind of simple. Uh, the first one is the Converse Chuck Taylor All-Stars from 1923. How many of you have owned a pair of these? How many of you are wearing that pair right now? Okay, nobody, good. Um, the second one is the Adidas Samba from 1950. This is a throwback classic. This is one of the most sold shoes in the world. Uh, the third is the Puma Clyde based on this out of 1973. Uh, the fourth is the Nike Air Jordan 1985. Uh, this is kind of the old school retro that comes with this. And I gotta be honest, this one came out in my generation and this was one of my favorites. Reebok the pump. Does anybody remember these? Dude, it was so cool that I could pump my shoe up. 
It served no purpose. It did not make me jump any higher. I'm five foot ten and I can't jump. But it was the, to me, it was the coolest shoe. How many of you carried around that tool that would release the air all day long in your pocket? Look, this is, <laughs> I feel like we need to like, I'm getting the scripture, I promise you here in just a second. Women's top shoes. Okay, listen. This is a little touchy in my household because I have a wife who loves shoes and two daughters who love shoes, and this is getting really expensive in my household. So if you're one of my kids, just tune these out. These aren't for you, okay? Uh, The most desired shoe for women this year was the Golden Goose tennis shoe. If you're not familiar with Golden Gooses, uh, these shoes range from $250 to $500 a pair. Um, and they are weathered and worn before you get them. (laughs) I'm sorry. I got petty there for just a second. (laughs) Second, the best heel. The best heel is this, the Kohan Go-To Block Heel Pump. Now, I don't know anything about this, so I'll just keep moving on here. Uh, Best for the office is Rothy's The Driver. I'm pretty much out on that one too. Um, Best sandal is the Melissa sandal, women's possession sandal. Look, I don't pick them, y'all do, okay? So when you think about this, (laughs) did I do it right, guys? They said put the ugliest ones up there so no wife would want a gray shirt after. (laughs) Some guys taking me to lunch this week. So this morning, I bought a new pair of shoes yesterday. Now, I'll warn you, um, I don't splurge on much, uh, but new Cole Hans Zero Grands are absolutely the most comfortable shoe that you could ever put on in your life. Uh, The current ones that I have on, I've had for three years. I can run up and down a basketball court with them. I can get on a softball clay field. I can do anything in these shoes that tennis shoes could do. But it's interesting that I still wore my old ones this morning. And now these are kind of fancy with the white soles and I don't really know how I'm gonna keep those clean. Uh, But those are kind of the new shoe that are kind of involved with my life today. But it's crazy because it takes a little while to get used to a new shoe. Imagine As soon as you put this thing on, it has to kind of form to your foot. It takes a little while for it to be really comfortable. But you know what's crazy? These old shoes that I've worn for three years are so comfortable. It's like they say, hey, Jeff, when I put them on. They know where we're going. They know what we're going to do. And it's hard to get out of those things. And it takes this adjustment period to get used to them. But listen, I know what to expect from these shoes. They feel safe for me. This morning, I want to talk to you about a passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 17. That expresses the new life versus the old life. And this passage of scripture is an intro and a contrast of what it means to live for God in Christ in a new fashion versus what it means to live in an old way. Now, to clarify this and to have this understanding before we go into this, before we accepted Christ, we were different. 
Sin ran rampant through our bodies. We gave in to our own selfish desires. And now that we have accepted Christ, something has changed. We have now submitted to Christ and we begin to live in the fashion and the manner that he tells us to live in. It's hard for us to understand because sometimes it's this this hard thing to go back to this old way of living. So I want you to understand when Paul lays out this passage of scripture, he's giving the contrast and he's telling you, I understand how difficult it is to embrace a new lifestyle a new understanding, a new way to live. And so first we have to understand this misconception. There's a common misconception and it's taught in churches and it is completely false. And the misconception is this, that nothing changes after you've accepted Christ. It's interesting and intriguing that we will tell people, hey, all you have to do is come to Christ But the reality is that God, when you accept Christ, transforms your heart. Something changes the way that you see the world. Everything inside of you now changes. But for some, we feel like it's an easily acceptable, it's become this marketing tool and this marketing ploy to say, all you have to do is pray to receive Christ and nothing can change in your life and you'll still be okay. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. We've adopted this truth and changed it for our own purposes to to justify our own sin, our own actions, our own lifestyle. It's crazy because nowhere in scripture does it say, bring your ideology, bring your theology, bring what you want to do and live that way. Scripture is very clear on how we are to live in Christ. And so to identify this in the first sense, we're gonna look at the old fashion or the old way, the old shoe, if you will. In verses 17 through 19, he begins to lay this out. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, understand this classification, and we think of it, and we go, man, I can't believe Paul's, like, calling out the Gentiles here. Well, understand the context that he's telling them it's a classification of people that are known to not live for God. He says, hey, don't do things the way that they do. Continues, in the futility of their minds. I love how he kind of lays this out. He says, no longer walk. He said, this is how you should not walk. This is a reminder that so much has changed once you have accepted Christ, that you are a child of God and that you live up to his standards. The first thing he tells us, if we are gonna take this in this sense, is to stop walking this way. He says, stop being futile. Imagine this, the definition of this is incapable of producing a result. Now, as I was reading through this, it was pretty humbling and pretty revealing to me because I have to evaluate my own life with this. And my prayer and my hope is that I'm not futile in living for Christ. Imagine that we would not produce any result, that we would be ineffective, useless, not successful 
and my term on this is pretty much worthless. Look, when we accepted Christ, we should not be worthless. Amen? We shouldn't be futile in what we're doing. Have you ever seen somebody that can spend all the time in the world and accomplish nothing? Now, don't look at them if they're in here. But it's, it's amazing. You go, what did you do all day? Eh, I did this, I did this, I did this. Really? You ever seen your kid and gone, what'd you do? Oh, I cleaned my room. And then you go in and you're like, no, you didn't. <laughs> it's crazy how this works. But we do this in our Christian walk and Paul is laying out to him. He says, don't be futile. To understand the culture, and listen, this culture describes us a ton. They were known for being at Ephesus, this island, this place where tons of transient people would come through. It would be a hotbed for all kinds of people that would escape and get there to the place where they could do crazy things that they couldn't do in their own town and in their own village. There's a pagan temple of Artemis, or of Artemis, that was known for every wicked and vile sexual practice that was out there. A lot of times we try to think that this is new, but this has been going on continually throughout Scripture and throughout history. So imagine the temptation to entice them back into sin. I want you to understand, when we are tempted and we are enticed, and when we begin to give in to sin over and over and over again, it rules us futile, ineffective, utterly useless and worthless. It's interesting that futile people revolve everything around their own thinking. Man, It's tough because they do what they want on every front. They're darkened in their own understanding. The next thing he tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, he says the futility of your minds, and he says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, I got to be honest, this one cuts a little deep sometimes. But he's telling them, stop being ignorant. The definition for this term in this context is spiritually uninformed. Now, I know when you hear the term ignorant, you don't, you you kind of buck back and go, don't call me that. But the reality is scripture is laying out that some are very uninformed spiritually. This takes place in the church a lot of times that we become deeply passionate about one singular thing without being informed on the whole. He tells them, stop being ignorant. It's interesting that it's hard to hold somebody that doesn't want to grow, doesn't want to know anything to be accountable for anything. He says, when we do this, we become hard-hearted. Listen, the the hardness of our hearts continues to grow. It's amazing that the older that I get, the, the more harsh I become. 
It's crazy that as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we should be more sensitive to him. I know it's on the heels of Valentine's Day, but to understand what it means to allow that hardness of heart to be gone. One of the things that's intriguing is that my wife and I have been married almost 19 years in December. It's crazy how far we have come. But it's taken work every step of the way. I've had to learn her and understand her and know why she does the things that she does and continually love her and continually grow. And as I learn those things, they begin to change all over again. I tell you that so that you would understand. Don't be ignorant of Scripture. Know it. Read it, understand it, let it pour over your life, be challenged by what it tells you. He continues with this passage of scripture. He says, they're darkened their understanding, alienated from their life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. And then the results of this is they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's hard not to be calloused in the world that we're in. You see things taking place, you see things transformed. But what Paul is laying out to them is don't be calloused by what you see. It's crazy that we kind of become calloused and hard-hearted when we don't think anybody can change or anything can take place that's different. And listen, God is in the life-changing business. Don't be calloused to what God is doing in somebody's life. And he says, stop being sensual. Paul describes this as those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. It's interesting that we are a society of feelings. Can I ask you a question? How many of you got your feelings hurt this week by somebody? Man, it happens all the time. Man, some of you will probably hurt my feelings today. I've probably hurt your feelings in the first 10 minutes of this message. We get feeling-based instead of truth-based. I would tell you, we have to stop being into our feelings and start being into what the truth is. So Paul continues in this in verse 20 and 21. He lays out kind of the new way of living. Or he lays out this understanding and then the new life. He says, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. And then I love this. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. At this point, if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, you have been taught the way of what truth is. You've been taught who Jesus Christ is and what he can change in your heart and your life. But there's a careful assumption. It's amazing that we assume this just by seeing people here. 
We assume that they've been a part of a relationship with Christ for a really long time. And listen, we should take no assumptions of people knowing Christ and not knowing Christ. We should continually share who he is over and over and over. So let me get to this new life, this new shoe that we're going to put on, this new way of walking, this new understanding that goes with this. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 through 24, Paul lays it out. He says, here's the paradigm shift. I've told you what to stop doing. Now I'm going to tell you how to live. He says very clearly in verse 22, to put off your old self, to get rid of the old shoes, to put them away. It's crazy for me because I like to go back to those comfortable shoes, even though they don't look good, even though they're worn out, even though they're on their last thread and their last stitch. I want to go back. Paul's telling us your new identity in Christ, putting on your new self. Picks it up in verse 23 and he says, and to be renewed. He tells us to walk in renewal. When we become a Christian, God renews our minds. He allows us to understand scripture for the very first time and begin to apply it to our life. The next thing he tells us is to walk in the likeness of God. He tells us the manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Imagine this, that you would look like God to people in this community that you would show his love, that you would live the way that he did, that you would be truthful and honest and hardworking and not deceitful. And listen, these are some of the things that we're gonna address in these next couple of weeks. But can I tell you, our community, our society needs to see people that walk with the Lord. For a long time, they viewed the church and they viewed the people that go to church and they've seen them and they said, they look no different than me. It's interesting. Have you ever seen a father and a son walking together, a mother and a daughter? And it's almost as if they walk the same way. You see them begin to walk, and look, I'm a pronated guy. I walk like a penguin. One of my kids walks that exact same way. I'm not going to tell you which one, but you can guess. And it's funny, because they're pointing at each other. <laughs> Neither one of them want to walk like dad does. I get it. But it's crazy that even when you're holding your hand of your child, they have like a lean and you're like, your back doesn't even hurt yet. (laughs) They walk like us. Why do they walk like us? They see it over and over and they mirror it. The same should be told of us that we should walk in the likeness of God. That when people see me walking, they go, man, Jeff's really walking like God today. When they see you in your life, they say, man, you are really walking like him today. 
continues to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And then he tells us these words, in true righteousness and holiness. To walk in righteousness is to walking the right way. It's amazing how many times we're faced with doing things the wrong way or doing things the right way. And you say, well, Jeff, how do you know what's right? Easy. Scripture lays it out for me. It's very, very, very clear in what the right way of doing things is and what the wrong way of doing things is. And you say, well, isn't this subjective? No, <laughs> it's not You don't understand my situation. I don't, but God does. Go, wait a minute. Who are you to tell me what's right? I'm not. Scripture is. Very clearly. Can you imagine the church in Ephesus digesting these words? They were forced to come to this truth of are they going to live righteous or not? Are they going to put on this new shoe and live this way that Christ has laid out for us? Or are they going to continually go back to the old comfortable way of doing things? He tells us to walk in holiness to live set apart. This is what this definition means, that we would be set apart from everything else, that we would be holy. Simple question. How much holiness do you see in other people's lives around you? If you were to say, man, that person is a righteous person, That person lives in a holy fashion. I tell you that this should be the thing that is evident in in our lives to other people. So let me challenge you with a closing illustration. In the same way and in the same fashion of putting off the old and putting on the new. I would tell you it's a lot like this, of taking off the old and if you notice my socks, they are pink and they say dad's favorite and it has a picture of me and Carly on them. And you would put this on. And you would begin to look different from the old. Now listen, I'll be honest with you. The old one still feels a lot more comfortable than the new one at this point. But it takes a commitment to really begin to live in the right way. And look, Living the spiritual life, living the Christian walk, living the Christian faith 
is difficult. There's going to be days where you want to put on that old faithful shoe and just live however you want to live. But I would tell you this morning, there's a lot of, church, there's a lot of Christians that are one foot in and one foot out. We've got to stop being half-sold into the Christian faith. We've got to stop putting on the new life and this new faith in situations that are really easy for us. And we have to be wholeheartedly committed to what God has called us to do. It takes putting on both. And really being committed to what God's called us to do. I think sometimes the imagery that comes with putting away the old and beginning to live in the new is difficult for Christians. And it takes this continual drive, this continual commitment of living in the way that Christ has called us to live. So my challenge to you this morning is put away the old shoes. Put away the old life that you've been called, that you've been living. Look, it may be time for you to reconcile with somebody. It may be time for you to put some sin to death. But it's time. You've got to quit walking the way that you used to. And start putting on this new life, this new calling of righteousness and holiness. And getting rid of the things that are continually drawing you back. My wife will tell you, one of the toughest things for me to do is to get, a, get rid of something that I love, whether it's a shirt, a pair of pants, a pair of shoes. I love wearing the same thing over and over again. But I tell you, it's time to put away the old lifestyle and begin to live new. We close with this thought. It's time to walk the way that Christ has called us to. And that takes putting on new shoes, a new life. Quit living the way that you're living. And begin to truly live for Christ. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to deal with some of the things that are a little bit harder to put away. I love that Paul doesn't just leave us in this category. He goes into detail into some of the toughest things that are hard to put away. He gives us the overcoming understanding of what it means to truly live for Christ. Can I tell you from somebody that's been 
living this way for a really long time at this point, it gets better and better and better the more that I put away. But look, it's not easy. It's tough. But I would tell you, it's time for you to put away the old self, the old shoes, and begin to live for Christ. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. Maybe this message has really began to expose some of the things that you've been continually wrestling with for a long time. Maybe it's things that you know. It's time to put those things to rest. Maybe you don't know or understand what it means to live righteously or to live a holy lifestyle. It's time to learn. It's time to be set apart from the world that is around us. It's time to truly live the way that Christ has called us to live. I'll tell you, put the old shoes away, put the old lifestyle away, and begin to truly live for Christ. Dear Father, I come to you humbled and thankful for the way that you love us this morning. We're thankful for not only the scriptures that Paul lays out, but the imagery that he tells us, and he clearly states, walk this way. Don't walk the other way. Walk towards me. Grow in your relationship with me. Become set apart. Become holy. Become righteous. Become founded in truth. Lord, I pray specifically for those that are in this crowd that are set in their ways, that think life is not going to change, their hearts have become hardened, they're callous to even wanting to change or transform anything in their life, they've given up to it. Father, I pray that over these next few weeks, their hearts would be renewed, that you would transform their lives and teach them how to live for you more and more. Father, be with us as we put some of the old things away and we transform into the newness and likeness of you. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray.